0: Please turn with you now to the Old Testament, to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt And bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was eighty years old, and Aaron eighty-three years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments, for every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods and pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the lord had said so the lord said to moses pharaoh's heart uh, so the lord said to moses pharaoh's heart is hard he refuses to let the people go go to pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him and the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, the river shall stink. And the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. And the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the side of Pharaoh and in the side of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. And he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there are many, many wonders to be found in this very chapter. There are many avenues to pursue. There is much gold and treasure to be found. And, Lord, we are ignorant of almost all of it. How we pray, Lord, that you would enrich us a little. How we pray that you would open our hearts and minds and unlock for us the truth and the application of these things and the implications of them and the power and the glory of them that we would see the living God, we would see Christ, we would see also the heart of sinful man, we would understand, Lord, the battleground for the heart of man that really is at the core of all these things, and that you would bless us in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We come this evening to Exodus chapter 7. And after many preliminary events and words, we finally do come to the first miracle and to the first of the ten mighty plagues of on Egypt. And of course, these events are supernatural works of God. They are spectacular enough in themselves. These miracles we do not see every day. Uh, Yet, strangely, there is not much to show at the end of the chapter in terms of results. The situation remains unchanged. The people of God remain in their chains in this land. They remain as slaves, and Pharaoh is no closer to letting them go, seemingly even further away from letting them go. So what is then the story of this chapter? What is, that, what is it that we should see and learn from? I think it is the story of the men involved and what is going on in their hearts. For this is the real battleground throughout this book and throughout all of Scripture. This is the battleground, the spiritual battleground of the heart. And it's not just Pharaoh. Of course, it's Moses. God had been striving with Moses and Aaron as well as with Pharaoh. And Moses, you remember, had given his long list of objections in the desert. The chapter begins with more of the struggle between God and Moses, and particularly after the discouragement, the initial discouragement. Uh, that was that happened in chapter 5, Moses really needs to be propped up. His heart is weak. His faith is weak. He is wavering. And, and let me say at this point, by the way, that the chapters are not particularly well chosen at this point because really everything picks up in the few verses before the beginning of this chapter in chapter 6, verse 28. And this is the context. And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. Verse 30, But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? You see, he's reverted to that very same line of which the Lord had to deal with him in the desert about. The very same thing. He, he, his faith took a knock. And so he's back to that same line of doubt well thankfully this is the last that we're going to hear of it because God is actually getting somewhere with Moses it may be two steps forward one step back but we're making progress with Moses the battle for the heart of Moses and the battle for the heart of Aaron is being won and the chapter proceeds with a testimony actually of their faithful obedience in these things but on the other hand the story of Pharaoh and his heart runs very differently He follows up his initial rejection of God's demands to let the people go with a a rejection of the miracle that then happens. And after that, then... The first of the ten great plagues upon Egypt, this, miraculous, this amazing miracle in which is not just what happens in front of him, not just a little dye in the water or a little magic of some, something in, in a pitcher in front of him, but of the whole river and of all the water that is to be found in Egypt, whatever container it might be found in, it's all turned to blood. And he, as it says in our text, remains unmoved by these things. That's what's happening in his heart. And in fact, his heart is going from one degree of hardness to the next. Even as Moses takes his steps further towards obedience and wholehearted submission to God, and, and greater things yet lie in the future for Moses. But on the other hand, Pharaoh turns harder and harder and harder. Well, as I say, this is the real battleground. Back then and now, it is for the human heart. It is true of Moses, it is true of Pharaoh, and it is true of all of us here tonight. The battleground is not something artificial, it is not something external, although there are manifestations of these things, absolutely, and the things that we can see and and, and witness. But the real and the true battleground has always been for the human heart. It has been that way since the, the very beginning, as Satan waged his warfare in the Garden of Eden And it remains so now. And let us not forget these things. What is going on in the heart? And what is the outcome of these things? So the title tonight is The Battleground of the Heart. And are these three points. First, Pharaoh hardened by a miracle. Second, Pharaoh unmoved by a plague. And thirdly, Moses made as God. In the battleground of the heart. And we begin with Pharaoh hardened by a miracle. Not taking things, of course, in order as they appear, but we're starting with the situation of Pharaoh in verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. Let me again remind you that it is not completely unreasonable for Pharaoh to ask for a miracle, and and the Lord does not seem put out by the slightest of there being such a request. He makes explicit provision for it, and later on there are specific rules about what sort of prophet you should listen to. Those who come with the, the true word of God... Uh, Those who, who, for instance, who add to the canon of Scripture, these prophets of God come with miracles, both with regard to the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament. So that's not a bad thing in itself. And, And God is very willing to make provision for any such reasonable request. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Now, notice Pharaoh's immediate response to that, because, again, we're speaking of actions that speak of what is going on in his heart. Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments, for every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. And what do we say about that? To my mind, this is very much like the situation of modern man. Yes, today we speak of science, but back then it was magic, but we're talking about the same idea. The, The inclination of man's heart is to explain away rather than to accept, to make something analogous and counterfeit and something that will blunt the edge of God's wondrous works and words rather than a heart to receive them. As as if to match wits with God, I don't know if you've ever read some atheists and, and their vaunted uh, evolution and all the rest of it. And of course, it's it's filled with all kinds of of, of logical leaps and, to my mind, just uh, magic more than anything. And at the end, you say they're just simply trying to match wits with gods. Uh, with God, they're trying to they're trying to make something in comparison. Rather than that will blunt the edge of the, the real miracle of creation, rather than simply receiving these things as they are, and the abundant evidence of that. Well, by the way, there is this one little detail, isn't it? Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, because God never leaves himself without a testimony of the veracity of what is going on. Had he the least inclination, he would have taken that sign for what it is that although there were counterfeits, and who knows how these counterfeits were there, even today, magicians take rabbits out of a hat there 's a living rabbit. Where did it come from? No doubt there 's some way to produce a living snake that does not at all uh, bespeak of of true uh, uh, supernatural things, however it might have been and powered by demons it doesn 't matter. The point is, God did not leave himself without a witness, even in these things. That the Aaron snake swallowed up these other snakes. And that should have been enough for him, but it wasn't. In verse 13, Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. Grew hard, right? It's a progression, a movement of hardening. He's going from one stage of hardness to the next. He's not inclined in the slightest to accept a good evidence, a good and reasonable rational evidence that is staring him in the face that God is speaking through Moses and Aaron, so he looks for ways to elude it. And having found some avenue, although with a fatal flaw, then his heart becomes further closed and hardened against it. It's not it has nothing to do with an objective evaluation which the Lord is not afraid of in the slightest, and the Lord is absolutely willing to to give to Him, but rather of looking for some grounds to reject the living God. As I say, all this stemming really not from not from science, not even from magic, I don't think. It's stemming from a heart that is in rebellion against God. That's the issue. It's not that I, look, I would love to believe you, Moses. I'm trying. But you know, the objective science before me just tells me I, I can't believe. That's not it at all. Here is a heart that is in rebellion against God and is seeking for ways to elude him. And he's acting in ways that will further lead him away from God. You see? All the, 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 the way in which his eye is turned, the things in which his, his head is willing to accept, the things that he wants to, to give assent to are things that are guaranteed to lead him further and further away from God. And whatever thing that is before him that might lead him to God, he is rejecting and ignoring. You see, for instance, that Aaron's snake swallowed up the other's. And so this miracle that would and should soften the heart of anyone who's inclined to listen, as it did for Moses. You remember, God tried it out on Moses first. And, and Moses was impressed by this. Moses was inclined further to God after seeing these things. A, a miracle that should have softened the heart of anyone inclined to listen, he is further hardened by it. This is the battleground thus far with, in the heart of Moses He's hardened by a miracle that should have softened. But of course, that's not the end. We move quickly on to our second point, which is that Pharaoh is unmoved by a plague. A plague. And verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. That's very abundant, isn't it? In his response, the, the, out of the abundance of the heart, so the mouth speaks. And we're reminded of that. The Lord tells us that. That we sometimes hear hard words and unbelieving words and unkind and unloving words. And the Lord says it's because that's what's in our heart. But of course the Lord knows the hearts. He doesn't even need to have this evidence of what is springing from a heart. He knows every human heart and he proclaims what is very clear anyhow that his heart is hard. Well, I say this because, remember, this is the battleground. And the Lord is highlighting that in this chapter. The issue is Pharaoh's heart. It's hard. He refuses to let the people go. So he says in verse 15, Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned into a serpent, you shall take in your hand. Right, The very same instrument. God is not choosing some new instrument because the other one didn't work. That instrument absolutely did work, and now he's just going to up the ante and show a fuller demonstration of the power that it's capable of in the hands of his servant, in the hands also of Moses, and ultimately of the living God behind it. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. I will strike the waters that are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood, and the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Well. You understand that in these plagues, there is a, a, a direction of travel. They are going to what is more serious. And, in fact, what is here is far more serious than a, a simple rod being turned into a snake. There is going to be cost involved here as all the water is turned into blood. And all the fish, of course, you know that the Egyptians were fishers as well as farmers. And a source of food is being destroyed in the process of these things. And it is happening not just in a one location, but throughout all the land of Egypt. And let me say as well, the mercy and, and the grace of God in this, the same God who eventually did bring about the, the blood of the firstborn, he could have done that as his first miracle. He could have skipped right to that end. And the, the whole land could have flowed with the blood of the people of, of Egypt rather than simply of water being turned into blood. And this is a goodness of God that He gives often doesn't He? He gives warnings. And he does not immediately go to the worst case. But his His rod is fashioned in accordance with with where the person is in their hardness, and hopefully it is to overcome these things. Well, that is exactly what they were instructed to do, and that is precisely what they did. Uh, Pharaoh's heart again is hard. This is the battleground, but the battleground on the other side is being won. And and so when he gives those instructions to Moses and Aaron, they do not shrink from these things, but rather they do it. They are obedient. In verse twenty, Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters. Remember this rod and remember this striking that's going to happen in the future. He lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and all the sight in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. Now, it has to be seen, indeed, that it is coming from the source. They cannot legitimately have anything. Well, by accident, somehow this plague came upon us. We don't know how it happened. God knows, of course, this sin in the heart of men as he tries to wriggle away from every good evidence of the living God and to, to try to find some alternative explanation. Well, in the sight of everyone, in the sight of Pharaoh and all of his servants, there is no mistaking it. That rod that came upon that river, at that moment turning it into blood, it came from the hand of Aaron at the command of Moses and ultimately of the living God of the Hebrews. And what you know, everything that was warned, it happened. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. And we'll not even minimize any of this, but we'll not minimize the this, this stench. Perhaps some of you have ever been to a, 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 a slaughterhouse, a shambles, and it, it does truly stink with the this, this stench of blood. You can imagine then all the waters in the land, uh, this great river and all of its streams and everything around it, marshes turned into blood. It must have been terribly oppressive. And this sight, uh, uh, people, very often it's a pleasing thing to look out and to see a flowing river, uh, a a body of water. It's what people do on holidays and sometimes we go and we look at streams and rivers and here to see it flowing with blood must have been distressing in the extreme and beyond that then the tangible reality of all the fish dying adding of course to the stench it was not merely the blood but all of these these dead fish on the surface and here again verse 22 what is pharaoh's inclination it is not to say all right well this time he's got me but rather is to go find some magician go find me some magician who is able to replicate it because if i can find a magician who's able to replicate it in some way, then, well, then I won't have to listen. Now, I don't even know how this could be rightly replicated. We've just heard, anyways, that all the waters in whatever pitcher, in whatever place, has been turned to blood. Uh, Lord and his goodness has allowed yet that you can dig for water on the, the river's edge, so I guess they must have dug for water, the little bit of water that was left that wasn't already turned to blood, and they must have thrown some magical power, powder into it and, and turned it red or something like that. Well, anyhow, without speculating too much on how it happened, the issue is the heart of Pharaoh. On this most slender sort of counter evidence that he could possibly find, what happens? Pharaoh, looking at this scene around him, verse 23, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. See? There's the battleground of his heart. It is unmoved by this great plague. None of, none of the people had ever seen anything like this. Now, yes, we, we sometimes think of the, the plague's yet to come, and therefore we, we almost ignore the early ones as if there weren't anything great. But they're amazing. No one had ever seen anything close to this. And his heart remains unmoved by it. And he simply walks back into his house and tries to shut out God screaming at him from these things. Well, it's a little less easy for the common people to do that. Verse 24, so all the Egyptians dug all around the, the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Maybe Pharaoh can try to ignore it, but the people can't. Well, Pharaoh was hardened by a miracle that should have softened him and he is unmoved by this plague which would have moved the mightiest of men and we see where the the battle for his heart is going it's going in the wrong direction but on the other hand our third point is moses made as god Verse 1, so the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. And I don't even know where to begin with this. The, 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 what, what in response, how is it that, that this is what the Lord is doing with Moses when he has just said as he did? I don't know. Remember, this is not in the face of some amazing, heroic act of faith. This is in response to Moses expressing his latest doubt. And Now, thankfully, I think we can be confident that is it's an expression of, of a weakness in which he is hoping that the Lord would, would shore him up in some way. Maybe, the, maybe Moses still wishes that someone else would come. But what he is expressing is a heart that would desire. It's sort of like that, that man, you know, in the gospel that says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And he was helped. I think Moses was helped. And, but, but still, he says he's going to be made as God. How do we understand that? Matthew Henry, always helpful, helps us here. He says, I've made thee a God, to Pharaoh, that is my representative in this affair, as magistrates are called gods because they are God's vice regents. He was authorized to speak and to act in God's name. Instead, and under the divine direction was endued with a divine power to do what is above the ordinary power of nature and invested with a divine authority to demand obedience from the sovereign prince and to punish disobedience. So truly he was made like a god to Pharaoh and he was able to command and he was able to punish disobedience. This is an amazing thing, isn't it? God would do such a thing so freely to this weak and sinful man Moses, to give such power and authority to him. And it's in such an amazing contrast with Satan and Eve. Do you remember how that went? In Genesis three, verse four, the serpent said to the woman, and by the way, we'll not forget that picture, by the way, we mentioned at the beginning of the of the serpents there on the ground, it has something to do even with Satan, that that the rod of Moses was going to come and destroy and eat up those those serpents of the devil. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In the, on the lips of Satan, he is saying this as a slander. He is saying that God is denying some very good thing to you, that there is something in God's hands that he can give to you, but he doesn't want to because he's mean, because he's, he's a miser. He doesn't want to make you like himself reality is so different the reality is that god is absolutely bent on sharing all of his good things he is truly a communicative being he's a generous god he is giving of himself freely to us he is making us as much like him as it is possible to make us in the nature of things there's nothing that will be that is going to be withheld from us We shall truly be made like Christ. We shall share the image of God. We shall share his status of sons of the living God. And it just gets better and better as we come closer and closer, ever going up that spiral, that upward spiral of knowing more about God, sharing more of his knowledge, and having more love towards God and more joy and and becoming more holy and more perfect in every way, more glorious, more and more like God. He withholds nothing of that. This is his pleasure. This is his desire. This is his whole purpose in the work of redemption in order to do those things. There's no begrudging thing that God grants to Moses. Moses didn't ask for that. He didn't say, God, I have an idea. I'd like you to make me like God. It doesn't say that at all. It wasn't Moses' idea. God just freely Moses, Moses, Moses. Tell you what, I'm going to make you like God. And I'm going to make Aaron your prophet. And I'm going to put in your hands more power and authority than has ever been invested in the history of the world to this point. And for a long time thereafter. And uh, these great miracles will come from your hand. How about that? Because God is like that. He's a generous and gracious, loving God that does not withhold any good thing from us. And we must never forget that. Because Satan is forever trying to say it's the opposite slandering God that he's miserly but he's not don't listen and as I say in contrast and in contrast to Satan offering this up illegitimately God offers it freely and quite legitimately and in contrast to Eve then grasping for this thing illegitimately the thing that was going to destroy her and God thankfully had had, had denied it to her it is no sinful thing for Moses to accept this thing that was granted to him very freely by God and, of course, he does. This is the, the command as well as the gift. So God goes on to explain the situation in verse 2. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall speak to Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. To send. Again, that's the positive command. It's not just going to happen passively or by permission. He is, in fact, going to send them out of his land. And verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, but Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. see, the battleground is the heart. And the one who is standing above that battleground and who holds the hearts of men in his hands, it is God. And he is able, yes, in the case of these wicked men, this wicked Pharaoh who is dead set against the Lord, anyhow, he further hardens his heart. And the instruments and the miracles that he sends, Moses didn't need to think to himself, I'm failing. I'm bringing these these miracles and they're not working. Now we say in all reason, with all ordinary reason, they should have worked. These, these miracles and any reasonable man's Uh, Sight surely should have softened his heart. But remember, God's purposes as he sends Moses is actually to harden further the heart of, of Pharaoh in order that God might be glorified. Pharaoh will not heed you wise so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land by great judgments. This is the prerogative of the living God to do that. We must, of course, be very clear that it's not in our prerogative to do that. It would never, ever be right, for instance, to go to someone and to and to find some way to seek to harden them against the Lord. That would be an act of great sin and wickedness in the hands of any person. Because why? Because we're not God. You know, man in his, his wickedness tries to level the... The situation is if God were in the same situation of man and says, look at what God does. And he says, if that were in the hands of if we did that, if I did that, surely it would be sin. Surely it would be wrong. And you're right. But anything that God does, anything about God, even his knowledge, what does God know? We're, only recently, I think, the, final, the last of the sentences and legal actions were taken against the, uh, the tabloids and news companies that were doing this phone hacking business. Why? why? Why are some people in jail? Why were there fines? Why was this legal action? Why is the, the law being changed? Why? Because it's not right for, indivi- for ordinary people to know what's in someone else's phone message. Brothers and sisters, God knows every thought that has ever been in your heart. Everything, every word you've ever uttered in secret, he knows. And that's not unlawful for God to know that. That's just part of the definition of him being God. He's God on a totally different level than than you and I. And let us not imagine that he is on the same level. It is right for God to do this because he's God. And it is wrong for man to do such a thing because we're man, we're creatures. Our situation is utterly different. Well, as you know, then Moses and Aaron did so in verse 6. Just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And it's lovely how that is very succinctly in the text of Scripture highlighted, isn't it? This perfect obedience. And children, wouldn't it be that great if that were the testimony of everything that has ever been said by your parents to you? Wouldn't it be great that we could always write down then in our diaries or explanations that just as the mother commanded them, so they did. Perfectly so. I wish it were true. And may it be your ambition that the testimony of God, the testimony of people around you would be that just as I was commanded by my father, just as I was commanded by my mother, so I did. Well, let me say, you you might say at this point, look, is it really that big of a deal that Moses and Aaron did it? Here this God is doing these great miracles. Uh, How could they refuse him? Well, you know what? God loves to celebrate even our weak obedience. It's true. Do you know what's in Psalm 105? Psalm 105 is a praise of the the great deeds of God that have been done up to that point. It reminds me, why do we have a, a hymnal? Because... The, the Psalms were written up to a point and they commemorate up to all the, the wonderful things. And yes, they look forward to to what's beyond, but they, they cannot commemorate, you see, all the mighty acts that would yet happen in the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and indeed of his work in the church from that point on. And, and we have hymns that rightly commemorate these things. But in Psalm 105, it is a praise of the mighty acts of God thus far in human history And it commemorates these notable deeds in in Israel's history. It says, and he sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark. And they did not rebel against his word. Goes on to say, he turned their waters into blood and killed their fish. So in that list of, of, of great acts of God... There is mixed in that the fact that Moses and Aaron didn't rebel against His word. Amazing thing. Forever and ever, there is this commemoration of the obedience of Moses and Aaron. Along with the spectacle, along with the miracles and the works of God, this monument is made to their simple obedience. Brothers and sisters, let's not forget that battleground is a human heart. And, and the outcome that God would desire, the outcome that God is seeking is our willing obedience. And the outcome of this chapter is not actually that anything outside has really happened, but that he has won in the heart of Moses and Aaron. And their willing obedience is commemorated for all of eternity. Well, as we speak then of this battleground of the human heart, we have to we immediately turn to the application, the simple application is this, it is always about your heart. Okay. That's, that's the real battleground. That's the real prize, whether it is for, for, in terms of Satan or whether it is in ter, terms of the living God, it is always your heart. That is what the prize consists of. God wants your heart. Let's be very clear about that. Don't don't get mixed up and, and think about this and, and the other of some sort of external obedience that is not the issue. The issue is your heart. He wants your heart. He wants you to love him. What does God want from me, people say? I'll tell you He wants your heart. Do you believe me? Do you believe me that He wants your heart? That's what He wants. Don't be mixed up in other things. And brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, if he has your heart, then he has all of you. And he wants nothing more than that. That's all he wants. You know, again, Calvin was as, as subject to the slanders of men as the Lord Jesus himself, sometimes, I think. And he is portrayed as if he were some disembodied mind. And in the, if you listen to some people, you'd imagine that the thing that he'd portray himself would be some, some brain in a, in a jar. And that's not at all the way he thought of himself. You know, as his own seal for himself, it was a heart. A heart. And what he says is, my heart, Lord, I offer to you promptly and sincerely. That's what the heart of Calvin is. That's what the heart of Reformed religion is. That's what the heart of Scripture is. That is what the heart of Christianity is. We offer our hearts promptly and sincerely. Brothers and sisters, are you offering your hearts to God promptly and sincerely? Rather, are you shielding yourself? Or are you shielding your heart from the implications of his word? Do you wish to re- retain for yourself some autonomy? Do you, are you retaining for yourself some degree in which you can walk into your house unmoved by these things? Is that, what, is that what is about to happen? At the close of this service, are you going to walk into your house like Pharaoh, unmoved by the word of God? Remember, the battleground is about your heart. Secondly, I give a caution for the hard-hearted. In this general picture that it is about the heart, the battleground is at your heart, I give you, there's a caution for the hard-hearted among us. And the caution is this. It is not likely that you will recover from your condition of hard-heartedness. It is not likely. What is far more likely is that you will go from simple unbelief to further hardness of hearts by degrees until the Lord gives you over entirely to hardness of heart. Indeed, they judicially harden it to your destruction in the end. It is a dangerous, dangerous thing to harden your heart against the living God. And you are not likely to recover from it. That's why Hebrews 3, that's why I read that passage. Hebrews 3.15 says, While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't harden your heart when it comes to the gospel message coming to you of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. Don't harden your heart against that call of the gospel. Don't harden your heart of the, the call of the Lord in your life that you should obey him in all of your ways. Don't harden your heart. As hard-heartedness it is. Isn't it interesting, the providence of God, he who made all things, yes, he even made our physical hearts. And in this fallen world, there is such a thing as cardiovascular disease. There is such a thing as a hardening of our arteries, a hardening, indeed, of our hearts physically. And that disease doesn't get any better on its own. In fact, it's a downward spiral. As things get worse and worse until that heart, that cardiovascular system is not capable of upholding life. Don't harden your hearts. It's only going to get worse. Now, you understand that the lie is it's only this once, only in this one little thing. And I'm sure I can recover out of this dive soon enough. But that's not the way that it works. And Pharaoh is a cautionary tale with us in this. There was a time, there was an opportunity for him to recover. But that moment passed, and all that was ever said to him from that point on, all the great works of God that were displayed to him from that point on served to move him in one direction, in one direction only, and it was to further hardening. Do not harden your hearts against the living God. Thirdly, I would give an encouragement to the believers and the encouragement is this. Despite yourself, you will be made stronger and stronger. Did you know that? It is true. You will be made stronger and stronger. I don't know how much more of a picture of, of human weakness we could see than in Moses. And you, you see the great height that he's lifted and you go back to where he began and you say, how, how did that happen? This man is weak. I mean, lots of men compare in some way or another better than him, and he is still with this, uncircumcised lips and you know, that sort of thing, even this far into the book of Exodus. But the Lord strengthened him and made him stronger and stronger and stronger. And we see, by the end, he is indeed a mighty man of God. He is indeed a, a mighty in the faith, wonderful, lifted up in this way. standing and already. And already, the change from the beginning to the chapter to the end. Here he is standing before Pharaoh, working these great deeds and obedience, unquestioning obedience of being upheld by the Lord in these things. And so it is with us. Sometimes we stumble a little bit. The Lord is there to pick us up. And the promise is this, that we shall be made more and more like Christ over time. Second Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. One degree of glory to the next. That's what's being said. As we are being made more and more like him. That is the glorious, wonderful promise to the people of God that you will be made more like him. He didn't just say it to Moses. To be made, I'll make you like as God to Pharaoh. Actually, this is a promise that he makes to us all. And it's not just to Pharaoh, and it's not just in a circumstance. He is make, he's, he's transmitting his own glory to us, his own holiness, and making us through the power of the word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why, by the way, it's so crucial that we be in the Lord's house. That's why it's so crucial that we receive the means of grace, because this is the means by which we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, being made more and more like Christ, who is himself the image of the living God, and we'll share that image. That's an encouragement. I hope it is. That we who are no better than Moses will be no worse than his situation. You saw, what did Moses look like at the end of it? This Exodus is not the end. Deuteronomy is not the end. What what does Moses look like in the end of all these things? Not some weak man who... Is find, trying to find ways out of obeying the Lord. We find him on the Mount of Transfiguration in glory and holiness, there with Elijah and the Lord Jesus Himself. That's encouragement for the believer. And let me give one more encouragement, fourthly and finally, particularly for the old, for the elderly among us. I don't give some condescending euphemism. To be old is not something bad. Proverbs 16.31 says, The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord, and it's true. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it's found in the way of righteousness. Now, the salient point, of course, the point is something in the chapter itself. The salient point is in verse 7 that Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now Ages, I need not say today, that are seen fit not only for retirement, but just about for the care home. Yet for them, this is only the beginning of their great work for God. This is only the beginning of their great adventure, of their great thing by which, of course, they're remembered the next 40 years before them. Now you say, but of course they live to 120. A few people live to just about that today, but all right, fair enough. Even if you think of a, a, a more normal lifespan today uh, is, is of 90 years, well, what's the two-thirds mark? That's still 60. 60 in the case of Moses and 62 in the case of Aaron. And that was just the beginning for them. And God had this great work laid out before them. Now, I don't mean to say that we're all called to the same kind of thing. But what I mean to say is that the Lord still uses us in mighty ways. I am so thankful, for instance, for the work of prayer that happens among the old people in this, this church. I'm thankful. Look, I'm called to the work of prayer. But brothers and sisters, sometimes I don't get much prayer done in the course of a week. I I seem to be brought to every other sort of thing. Uh, And you pray for me, pray for me, that I might pray for you more than I do. But how thankful I am that there are these saints who are brought to greater degrees of glory. These saints that are in their situation, maybe even in their physical infirmity, brought to a position of which they can pray for me and for you and all the rest of us. And this is the mighty work that they are called to, perhaps, in this time. And elderly saints, strengthen your hands, and then let Satan have it. Now, this is the warfare, isn't it? And, and you go into that battlefield, and you, you do the work of God on behalf of this church, on behalf of God's people. Behold, I'll read from Joshua 14.10, The Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old, and yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me in. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Brothers and sisters, if that is not true of us physically, let it be true of us spiritually. May the Lord bless us in all ages in all times. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are thankful indeed for your word. We recognize, Lord, that in the hands of the wicked, in the hands of the, the, the rebellious, it is used only to be twisted to their own destruction and to bring them into further hard-heartedness, further and further away from the Lord. But Heavenly Father, how we pray, Lord, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you who are sovereign in the affairs of men, you who are sovereign in this battlefield for the hearts of men and women, how we pray, Lord, that you would bring all those, even the hardest of hearts, even the souls of Tarsus of the world, that they would bend the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ and be brought to saving faith. And, Lord, as for us, how we pray that there would not be any heart of unbelief in us, as was among, yes, not only Pharaoh, but even later on the the children of Israel themselves. But rather, Lord, that at your word we would turn. At your word we would be moved. We would not be like Pharaoh, returning to his house unmoved. But rather, Lord, you would move us greatly in a direction of greater holiness and obedience and submission. And we do pray, Heavenly Father, that we would live in this encouragement. That if we believe, Lord, you will help our unbelief. That if we are yours, you will make us more and more like us. Indeed, yes, Lord, like the image of God. And we pray, Lord, that we would go on from this moment, from this hour, encouraged to take the steps of obedience and faith that you have for us, knowing that you strengthen us and all to your glory.